All right. Welcome to Adult Sunday School. I want to congratulate you because this is the last installment of Pilgrim's Progress. I heard an ah. Oh, I have really enjoyed it. How, how about you? Yes? This is by far my most favorite uh, narrative. Um, there was a reason why I read it every year with my sixth graders um, whenever I was teaching school. Um, they probably didn't appreciate it as much as I did, um, but it's, it's a wonderful book. It hits on so many different levels. It's good for you know, sanctification purposes. If you've known and walked with the Lord for 30 or 40, 50 years, and it's even good if you're 12 years old. Right? There's so many ways that the Lord can use this book to uh, grow in our relationship, our knowledge, and our love for Him. Well, let me begin by uh, starting with a word of prayer, and then uh, we, will, we will kick off. I'm sorry I don't have any handouts for you this morning, but if, if you want to take notes, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before your throne this morning with thankful hearts. Lord, we know that the only way that you accept us is on the merit of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, surely we could not approach the throne of grace with any sort of confidence. We would have vain confidence, vain hope, as we will discuss this morning with one of the characters in this book. But praise be to God that you have called us out of darkness. You have made us children. You have made us co-heirs with Christ. Your word tells us that you listen to the prayers of the righteous. And Lord, we are righteous on the basis of your son who became a guilt offering, making many to be accounted righteous. Lord, we thank you for that reality. We thank you for the ability for you to hear our prayers, for you to answer our prayers, for you to listen to the anguish of our hearts, for you to listen to the praise of our souls. Lord, we pray that this morning is a, is, is a time of uh, whenever we will come to know you more from your word. Lord, as we listen and hear and read this book, the heart of John Bunyan, a pastor, Lord, which you have given as a gift to the church. We thank you for the time that we have spent in this book. Lord, and we pray that this morning will be um, a moment whenever you are glorified, not only in uh, Sunday school this morning, but also in corporate worship. We thank you for the ability to be here, for the breath that's in our lungs, for the very next heartbeat that our heart takes. We thank you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I believe it was Pastor Andrew last week who told you guys about ignorance. Okay? Ignorance, if you're unfamiliar with this book, is a character in Pilgrim's Progress. And ignorance is ignorant. Okay? Meaning, his ignorance is based upon a lack of true knowledge in relationship in the Lord. Ignorance thinks he knows the Lord. He goes, I have eaten and I have drunk in the presence of the king. He has taught in our streets. 
indicating that he believes there is some kind of relationship with the king of the celestial city. But it is far from the truth. He has no certificate. He has not been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He does not know the king. And as we find out, there's a reason why he is like that. And it's not because of his own doing. It's because his eyes are still blind. It's because he has not received sovereign grace yet that would open up the eyes of the blind like many of you this morning. And we're going to find out by the conclusion of this story, whenever this is the end, the river of death, they come to the gate of the celestial city. Christian hopeful, spoiler alert, they are admitted into the celestial city. Ignorance is not. Okay? Um, I remember um, my wife, Julie, she, there's, a, there's, a, there's a children's book, as many of you may know, called Little Pilgrim's Progress. And she teaches this to her first graders. And I, I remember her telling me whenever she teaches the part about ignorance at the end, whenever he is bound and dragged away, like it's frightening to those little kids, those little first graders, like, where's he going? He's going to hell. And that is a frightening thing. So let's dive in this morning. Again, we are in the tenth and final stage. Christian and hopeful are moving along at a brisk pace. Ignorance is limping along behind them. They're having a conversation as they walk through the enchanted ground. What's interesting about the enchanted ground, it's a time whenever it makes pilgrims drowsy. There's something with the air. It makes them drowsy. It makes them apathetic. Contrast to Beulah land, which we're going to discuss in just a second. The air is sweet. It's different. It's wonderful. But this area of enchanted ground represents our tendency as believers to be complacent spiritually. To struggle with temptations and trials day after day. So, Christian and hopeful, they're on their way. The journey continues. They're having a conversation about ignorance. And not just ignorance, but all those who are like ignorance. The lost. Why are the lost in this condition? Why don't they believe? Well... Christian responds essentially to that question as hopeful ask it. He goes, he has blinded their eyes lest they see. Sound familiar? From the book of Isaiah. So Christian quotes the book of Isaiah to hopeful to let hopeful know this is the reason why people are lost. He has blinded their eyes lest they see. Okay, this is interesting. Ignorance seems to be on the same journey as Christian hopeful. Good morning. Good to see you, brother. Sorry to interrupt. It's always wonderful to see him. Um, so, uh, uh, ignorance is limping behind, but essentially on the same journey as Christian hopeful. Okay? So, he believes that he is headed to the celestial city. He actually makes it to the gate. I gave you that a little bit ago. But he does not understand the things of the Lord. Ignorance doesn't. Namely, how a person is truly saved. Because ignorance believes that the flesh 
is of the Lord's help to save him. He actually says in the book that it's conceded to think that all, uh, all salvation is of the Lord. Surely I must help. Yes, I do help. My flesh is of help. So he believes in what kind of righteousness, therefore? If he's work, works-based righteousness. Very good. He believes um, his flesh is, 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 um, can help. And if we have any men in MLP in here, it's a men's leadership program that we have here at GCC. We actually recited and memorized Galatians 2.16, which speaks about no one can be saved by works. Okay, It is all by faith in Christ Jesus. Ignorance is still blind. And there's a question here that I'd like to work with, work through with you, based upon this character, ignorance, and Christian's statement about him. We're going to go to God's word if you would like to, in advance, just by a little bit. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Are the eyes of the lost intentionally blinded from being able to see and understand the truth? Are the eyes of the lost intentionally blinded so that they're unable to see the truth, and if so, by who? All right? I'm hoping to clear this little question up for us this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Who can read that for us? If you would, go ahead. Thank you, Brian. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Thank you, sir. So we know that Satan, he blinds eyes. Okay? But there's something else that's going on here with this Isaiah 6 passage. This is a message that the Lord gives to Isaiah. Okay? It's also quoted by John in John chapter 12. Let's move over to the New Testament. Let's go to John chapter 12. Verse 37, if I could have somebody read that for us, please. John chapter 12, verse 37. We're talking about people who have been blinded to the truth or unable to see. The Lord quotes it to Isaiah upon his commissioning, which is, you know, we, we have our, our brother Ralph and Maureen, who are up in Gunnison, Colorado, who... Um, several of us were, were visiting last week, um, and it's a very, very different kind of territory. It's not the Bible Belt. People are resistant. You know, we were at one point giving out tracts at the farmer's market. We're having, Lord willing, gospel conversations. One of Ralph's friends was holding up a sign that says, evolution is a lie, prove me wrong, Right? And people were like driving by, rolling down their windows, booing and jeering and calling names to us. So you hear, you, would that happen in Texas? Maybe, right? You know, maybe not. Austin, right? Austin. Probably in Austin, okay? They are a little bit weird, they say. So, but this, this is the case. People in Gunnison... Their hearts are hardened. Their eyes are still blind to the truth. They don't care to know the truth. Why is this? Why are they still blind? 
has the enemy, Satan, the little g, God of this age, blinded their eyes. 2 Corinthians 4 says so. But Isaiah is commissioned upon hearing this from the Lord. Like, you're going to go and preach this message, Isaiah, but this is what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to preach, and their eyes are going to be blinded, their hearts are going to be hardened, but I want you to continue to preach this judgment upon sin. What does John 12, 37 tell us? Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So, they could not believe. Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus, I believe, quotes a little bit later. So, Dennis, you're probably wondering, it appears from Isaiah's and John's context that it's speaking about God. Does God blind eyes? As the enemy blinds eyes. And why would he? This is a tough question. It's tough because we reflect upon our own salvation. We read God's word. The Lord has illuminated this for us. He has given us his spirit which helps us understand who guides us into all truth. Right? We have this understanding. We know that we are a sinner. We know that we need a savior. We are given the gift of faith. We are given the gift of repentance and we are walking in communion with the Lord. But this isn't the case for everybody. So this is a tough question. Who blinds eyes? Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it both? Are we already blind? Let's go to another passage. Scripture helps us interpret Scripture. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 15. And I would like to read this for us. As you guys follow along, I'll be in the NASB. Luke 8. Uh, yes, sir. Luke 8, 9 through 15. This is right after, to help you with the, look, with, with the context, this is right after. Uh, Jesus gives the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, those beside the road who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they will not be able to believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive their word with joy and these have no firm root, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are ones who have heard, they have gone on the way. And they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are those, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, who hold it fast 
who bear fruit with perseverance. What I want us to take notice of is really the beginning of verse 10. Who can read for me verse 10 one more time, please? He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Why do some see? Why do some understand? And why some do not? Verse 10 helps us here. He goes, to you it has been given. In other words, it is a gift. To see to understand, to know the mysteries of God, it is a gift. The disciples received the gift. The, those who did not understand the parable, they did not receive the gift. A gift is something that we don't deserve. A gift is something that we don't earn. A gift is a gift. So the disciples understood. They were given understanding. How? They were regenerated. No longer all their minds darkened and their thinking futile. The old is gone, the new has come. Again, they are given the gift of faith and repentance, etc. So what about those who don't understand the parable? Those who don't see or understand? Again, they weren't given the gift. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Who can turn there for me and read that? 1 Corinthians 2.14. I'm trying to set up something for us to see about how we are naturally apart from the good graces of our God. Who are we? What are we like before this gift was given to us? 1 Corinthians 2.14 Thank you, thank you. The natural person, the person who hasn't been given the gift, they don't understand and they don't accept the things of God because it's foolishness. They're not able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. So, those who did not understand were, at that time in Luke chapter 8, were passed over, at least for this time. They weren't given the gift. Perhaps they were later, but during this moment here in Luke chapter 8, they were not given the gift of understanding. They don't understand the mysteries of God. Okay? The only way people, you, me, we don't need any extra dose of blindness. This is the way we are born. We are born spiritually blind. We are spiritually discerned from the get-go. The reason that you have understanding right now is before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ. That at one time, growing up, 50 years ago, five days ago, that you would come to a saving knowledge of him. He would regenerate your heart. He would give you a heart of flesh, take out your heart of stone, so that this heart of flesh can respond to God. You've been given a spirit. You have understanding now. 
The Spirit guides you into the truth. You understood the gospel. You understood your, de your desperation for a, uh, your need for a Savior. You understood that you were a sinner. God saved you. You've been given understanding. Not everyone is like that. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But again, this is wonderful for us to understand and to be reminded of. It keeps us humble. We are born and remain blind until God intervenes. Again, no one deserves it. God is not unjust to give this understanding, this gift to some and not others. Now, I do believe that whenever the lost are preached to, okay, this is Dennis, I do believe that whenever the lost are preached to, that a hardening of their hearts can grow worse to where perhaps they become even more resistant, more futile in their thinking, their, their minds are darkened even more to the gospel, to God. God has given them over, as Romans 1 can tell us. And there's no way for them to understand a parable, the mysteries of God, understand truly that they're in need of a Savior without God intervening. So, ignorance is blind. He hasn't been given the gift. He thinks he understands. He thinks he knows. He's still trusting in himself. And so, he believes he is on the same journey as Christian hopeful. But again, as I alluded to earlier, this is not the case. So, now Christian hopeful, they go through enchanted ground with ignorance. And they come to an area called Beulah Land. Again, enchanted ground... The air made them drowsy. The air in Beulah Land is sweet. And it refreshed them. They rested for a little while. So Beulah Land was an area that is a wonderful reminder of Christ's love for his bride. In fact, if you read Pilgrim's Progress, the Song of Solomon is quoted in there. Um, again, if you think about the Song of Solomon, yes, it is a... A, a book, a narrative that's written from Solomon to who? Do we know? His bride. Absolutely. Okay. But it is also a love letter from Christ to the church, to his bride. Okay. So John Bunyan quotes the Song of Solomon in this narrative, again, just to remind us, his readers then, and us now, of this relationship that Jesus has with his bride. It's a reminder, if you are on your journey, right, and you think, think about Christian hopeful, they know that they are on this journey, they, are no, they know that they're going to the celestial city, do they know objectively that they're going to have to cross through the river of death at this point? What do we think? Do they know that in order to go to a celestial city to be entered through the gates, that they're going to have to go, they have to, they have to pass through death? Do we know? Do you have any guesses? Okay, I don't believe that they do. Okay, 
but yet they're walking. They've experienced trials. Hopeful has experienced less. Christian has experienced more, a lot of fiery trials, right? So they're weary. Can you, does that resonate with you? Is anyone ever weary from the battle, the ongoing battle in your sanctification of God conforming you to be more like his son and this war that you have against your own flesh? So as you battle and as you are weary, what, isn't it awesome to reflect upon the nearness of, that Christ has for you, that Christ has for his bride, his love for you. This is what John Bunyan is expressing, okay? The battle is hard. The journey is long, but the king is good. And we are given wonderful reminders that Christ is near, that Christ loves you. And this is what's going on in Beulah land. And it's in Beulah land that they see Celestial city from afar. Okay. Um, We just returned from uh, Colorado, as I told you a little bit ago. Um, I really didn't get homesick that much, except for my king-size bed that I get to sleep in with my bride. I I, I starfish whenever I sleep, right? I got to have a lot of room. Got to have a lot of room. But in Gunnison, Colorado... I was roughing it because I was sleeping like on a very, very small fool, right? So I was homesick for home, really, yes, to see my kiddos, but also to sleep in my my bigger bed. When I went to California with my family, you know, we were there for a little bit longer. I got homesick. Does anyone get homesick whenever they go on vacation? Yeah? We have some friends visiting from the Georgia, Chattanooga area. They might be getting homesick soon. Okay, whenever, even though Christian and hopeful see the celestial city, they've never been there. They, they, they can gaze upon and see some of its glory from afar. What happens to them? They become homesick and they are in anguish. They are longing to go home. They are longing to be with the king. And if you have ever echoed the words after you know, hearing something tragic in the news, maybe even you battling your own sin. You're like, come Lord Jesus, I am ready to come home, please. Right? It was probably one of these instances. But they longed to be home as they walked through Beulah land. So they are nearing the end of their journey. Again, spoiler alert, they are preparing for death. And they are met by someone called the gardener. The gardener walks with them, shows them the king's orchids, shows them um, um, the, the king's garden, right? And it's refreshing to Christian and hopeful. The, the gardener encourages them to eat and drink and to be refreshed. The gardener shares words of kindness and encouragement along this journey while walking through Beulah land. And there's a lot of imagery, obviously, in this allegorical narrative. But here in this moment, I believe the gardener represents a pastor. What kind of moment does this image capture? Well, I think it captures someone who is nearing death as the pastor walks with them through that. Okay, 
The gardener encourages. The gardener is a great comfort to those who are on the, to, to Christian hopeful who are on the brink of heaven. And isn't that a task that the under-shepherd has as well? Not even the under-shepherd, but all of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. As a loved one, as a brother and sister in Christ, is nearing death, preparing for death, on the brink of death, to come alongside, to remind them of the love of the King, to share with them promises from God's Word, to pray that they would persevere, etc. So, after this time with the gardener, they found it, again, very refreshing. It was a huge help. Christian, hopeful, they continue, and they come across two angels. And in Pilgrim's Progress, these angels are called the Shining Ones. And they walked together, and they came to see a gate on the opposite side of a river. But with this river, there was no bridge, and this river was very deep. Now here's the thing. This greatly stunned Christian hopeful because they said, surely there must be another way to get to that gate so that we don't have to pass through the river. Okay, and they go, yeah, absolutely, there is another way. But there's only two people that have ever done that, Enoch and Elijah. Okay, what's specific about those two men, about their deaths, that would be useful for us here? What is John Bunyan trying to communicate to us? Did Enoch and Elijah pass through death? What happened to them? They passed over the river by God's provision. They didn't have to endure it. Absolutely. So they go, absolutely, there is another way, but it's only been done for two men, two guys, Enoch and Elijah. And the angels were like, you have to go through the river. That's, that's not for you. That's for them. You have to pass through the river of death. So the pilgrims realize that death is unavoidable. And they're preparing to enter the water. Um, they hear something from the shining ones that says this. The depth of the river is based upon your faith in the king. If your faith in the king is shallow the river will be very tumultuous and deep and scary. If your faith in the king is abundant, the river that you walk across will be shallow. Okay? So Christian and hopeful, they enter the water. Christian is in turmoil. Why? Well, he remembers all of his sins. He reflects upon his failings and he begins to sink. Remember, it's based upon faith in the king. So that would indicate that Christians' faith in the king is what? Weak. Weak. So hopeful does what hopeful does and he encourages his brother. Christian calls out deep calls unto deep the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. So Christian is reciting from Psalm 42. 
For a Christian, death is a great trial. The doubts that he once believed and that he passed flood his mind again. He has fears that he would never make it to the celestial city. The foes that he faced earlier, like Apollyon, he reflects upon them again, and they seek to pull him under. Christian couldn't see. He lost his senses. A, a, a darkness fell over his body. The sweet refreshments, even just a little bit ago in Beulah Land, he can't even remember. That was just a moment ago. He can't remember all these sweet refreshments that the Lord has given him. Hopeful, says, brother, I see the gate and the angels are waiting for us. No, I taught the first lesson of Pilgrim's Progress nine weeks ago, nine weeks ago or so. And I gave us this quote because it's very encouraging. And as I was preparing this lesson this week and reading over everything again, this is a very um, crucial part, but it's very meaningful to me. And it, it makes me tear up if I think about it too much to think because some of us here, including me, have all struggled with having a strong assurance of our salvation where we hear Christian having struggles and failings with the sin and that resonates with us. The same old sin. We keep doing it even though we don't want to do it. The things that we don't want to do or the things that we do want to do, we don't do. And as he nears death, all of his sins flood back to his soul. And yet... He is imminently going to see the king. And even in his death, he is having this same struggle. Hopeful responds by saying this. These troubles and distresses that you are feeling, Christian, or no indication that God has abandoned you. It's very interesting to me, and, I, I, and maybe it happened earlier in this narrative. But it's always been the king, right? It's always been uh, basically another word for God. But yet here, it changes. It becomes a little bit more intimate where the word is God. The word is Christ. I find that very interesting. Again, Hopeful says, These trials and troubles are no indication that God has abandoned you, but rather to test you to see if you will recall the past evidences of his goodness to rely upon him in your distress. So as you think about this, none of us in this room are nearing death. I, we all have breath in our lungs currently. But some of us currently are going through troubles and distress. Okay? Some of these things we know about. Some of these things we keep to ourselves. Okay? So my response to you is the same response that hopeful gives Christian. These troubles and distresses that you right now in this room are feeling are no indication that God has abandoned you. But rather to test you to see if you will recall past evidences of his goodness so that you will rely upon him in your distress. My encouragement is for you to recall his past goodness if you were 
going through any kind of troubles or distresses this morning. Christian then says, or hopeful says to Christian, be courageous. Jesus Christ makes you whole. Christian says, oh, I see him again, the king, and he tells me that whenever I pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers shall not overflow you. All of a sudden, the river became shallow. The faith in Christ, the object where we should have our faith, it increased, reflecting upon what Christ has accomplished. The depth of the river went from deep to shallow, where Christian and Hopeful walked out together, hand in hand. They get to the other side of the shore. They approach the gate. Angels call out, who goes there and, and, and what, what do you need? What do you want? Then they recognize Christian and Hopeful. Who calls out to them is Moses, Enoch, and Elijah. They call out to behind the king, whoever's manning the gate. These pilgrims have come from the city of destruction for the love that they have for the king. Their certificates that they received at the beginning, the king wanted to see them. The king then came to see them. They entered the gate. They were transformed. Their fleshly garments, they were left in the river. They were given garments that shined like gold. They were given harps. I don't know how to play the harp. They were given harps. Why? To sing praises to the king. And they were given crowns for honor. The bells of the city rang as they walked through the gate. And they heard the king say, enter into the joy of your Lord. So, Bunyan, he ends not there, but he ends with ignorance. Bunyan says in his dream, I saw ignorance. He crossed through the river without half the difficulty that Christian Hopeful had. He came to the gate. No one was there to offer encouragement. He knocked on the gate. And the people answered, what do you want? He answered, I have eaten, I have drunk in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. Those at the gate, they asked for ignorance's certificate, but he didn't have one. The king didn't come to see him, but called out for him to be bound hand and foot and to be taken away. And Bunyan says towards the ending that he realized in his dream that in heaven, there is another way to hell. Where if you don't know the king, depart from me, I never knew you. And you were taken away, bound hand and foot. I want to thank you guys for faithfully staying with us during Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, one last bit of encouragement. The journey is long. The battle is hard. The king is good. Rely upon his past evidences of his goodness to get you through it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you again this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to work through this book together. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, being one of uh, many to lead them and to uh, 
Show them just how wonderful this book that you have given to your church is. Lord, thank you for Bunyan. And Lord, thank you for ministering to him by his spirit so that, Lord, he would be able to write this. Thank you for giving him that gift. Lord, even the trials that he had in prison. Lord, I can only imagine how much reflection upon your past goodness is in his life that he reflected upon. Lord, help us to do that by your spirit's help, Lord. As we go through the muck and the mire, often we find ourselves in the slough of the spawn. Often darkness comes over our eyes. We, we lose our senses. We, we, we can't even think. Lord, we, we find it so difficult battling sin and battling this world to reflect upon you, your nearness and your love and your goodness. Lord, help us to do that. I pray for corporate worship this morning. Open our eyes. Lord, Give us not only eyes to see, but ears to hear, to behold your wondrous beauty this morning. We thank you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.